Um, hello and welcome to episode 17 of what we're listening to. I am one of your hosts. My name is Josh and with me is the mysterious eighth beetle, Asher. How are you, sir? <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, <laughs> not even like sixth beetle, but sure. No, nah, everyone um, knows who the sixth beetle is. <laughs> okay. I have a little quiz for you. So, um, yesterday I saw on Twitter that, um, Joni Mitchell celebrated her birthday this past week. Um, I I can't remember. It might've been the seventh. I'm not sure. Um, but she, I believe is, has turned 77, um, resident Canadian of, uh, yeah, resident of your country, fellow mm-hmm. Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a quiz for you about one of her albums a in 1979. Mitchell. Do you know much of her albums? I do not. Okay. Well, you might be able to guess this one. In 1979, she recorded an album called Mingus. It was written in collaboration and dedicated to Charles Mingus and was mm-hmm. the last album he wrote before his death. So, you know Charles Mingus? I do. Double bass player? Yep. Um, for listeners who don't, look up a song called Haitian Fight Song. It's excellent. <laughs> now, the question is, Mingus did not play bass on this album called Mingus. Who played bass? Oh, I have a hint waiting in the wings if you need it. 70s, are they Canadian? No, but they're North American. Which leaves one other country. (laughs) Now there's 21 countries in North America, thank you very much. (laughs) Um, Famous bass player from America in the 70s. Yep. Think... Someone who might be into jazz. Oh, uh, is it Jaco? Yes. Oh, yes. Nice. Jaco Pistorius. Um, I, I pulled that one out of my hat, dude. <laughs> I was going to give you the hint of weather report. If you, oh, yeah. Uh, I would have gotten that. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a pretty... Um, uh, oh, actually, I should just clarify. I only know one or two songs from this because... <laughs> Because of my bass teacher in uni, and he was like, "Oh, you should do this song," and it's called "The Dry Cleaner from Des Moines," and it's an excellent piece. And it starts with this like really um, like augmented bass run, um, and then it's this groovy piece. And she's just excellent. So yeah. her and um, Yako work really, really well on that song, and I assume the rest of the album. But um, yeah, check it out. At least just this one song. It's it's pretty amazing what. Joni Mitchell can do with her voice. She seems to be able to kind of craft chords with like the way she arpeggiates her voice and kind of works around melodies. It's it's amazing. It's also worth mentioning that Jakob Astorius uh, is quite an unfair bass player because of how talented he was. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> he it's, rip it's, out his own frets? <laughs> it's it's mind-boggling, the stuff that he did. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's a pretty phenomenal player. Um, do you have any catch up, sir? Um, yeah, yeah. Just a tiny bit. I, um, we were talking about Jeff Lynn last week and I just (laughs) wanted to follow up. Um, my wife is a bit miffed because she was the one who introduced me to Jeff Lynn. I have her (laughs) thank for, and I didn't quite mention that, that, um, she introduced me to armchair theater. I think it's called, um, he's in an armchair on the front cover. Um, and it's pretty great. It's like, 
it's actually really feel good stuff, and I have enjoyed listening to him. But I don't know much ELO. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by that because that's far more what Jeff Lynne is known for is his work with the Electric Light Orchestra. My my wife has like very esoteric interests. <laughs> like when it comes, she just knows very specific albums that either her parents played or other people played around her. So like when oh. I go, oh, I love Paul Simon. She's like, oh, I just love this particular like best of that we had. It's like, well, Graceland's pretty awesome. Yeah, but- Graceland's pretty good. <laughs> so anyway, but she was like, she's a big fan of Jeff Lynne. So yeah, she heard that and was like, why didn't you tell them who <laughs> gave you this like great knowledge? So I must confess it wasn't, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't know. Um, but I did listen to the playlist a few times from last episode. Yeah. And I really enjoyed Gleamer and American Football. Like, but in a very nostalgic, poppy punky kind of with more wash sort of teenage years listing sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> American Football is like one of the quintessential uh, Midwestern uh, emo bands. That's kind of like the the sound with like lots of hammer-ons. But like that heavy yeah. nostalgia kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, and um, sorry. I no no, I, they were cool and they were very nostalgic. Um, I also listened to Bahamas, and <laughs> you are correct; they are a much more interesting version of um, Jack Johnson. I know, right? And and the Strokes have really grown on me. That that um, those tracks that you put on there, yeah, and their sound, um. Uh, it feels like they should be an English band. Does that make any sense? <laughs> um, I, I think that's actually really accurate. Uh, it's probably because you are also listening to English bands that I gave you this week, but their their right, last album yeah. is quite reminiscent of 80s alternative English music, like right. um, New Order and The Cure and that kind of stuff. It's got that, those kind of vibes to it. Um, interesting. Last night when I was kind of writing down a few of my thoughts, I thought of take me out by franz ferdinand yeah um and they're they're scottish um right yes and so it was kind of like that's the kind of vibe what i'm thinking and i i just enjoyed listening to it but i even enjoyed um that at the door song even more um is it called at the door yeah because so different yeah i i think i just like the chorus is so beautiful mm. i don't know it's just grown on me a lot so i understand why this album has grown on you um because it just takes a bit longer than a listen i think with uh franz ferdinand you're actually feeling the influence the strokes had in early 2000s uh, right they, they were quite uh big for the garage rock movement which spread mm. everywhere they've been around for a while they have um yeah i listened to the king's kaleidoscope song you put on there like oh, yeah. we talked about it a little bit the the strings quite wonderful and much less aggressive than I was expecting from a King's K song mm, yeah um, they have been a bit more aggressive in the past few years like with their kind of rap albums and that sort of thing so yeah. this is a bit of a return to karma sounds it was really nice <laughs> yeah I, I was listening to it again as well and I I forgot to mention that there were some nice strings on it as well I usually think brass when it comes to King's K because they yeah. have like a bunch of trombone players and all that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, they do some really nice string arrangements. So, yeah, glad you enjoyed that. All right. On to the reviews. Um, all right, so I've been listening to a, <laughs> surprise, surprise, another Shoegaze album. Um, <laughs> it's like 
very much. I, okay, I gotta admit, I've, it's I've been, fine. It's <laughs> fine. I have I have a list of like shoegaze things to go through slowly, and this is one of the ones at the top. Um, hey, it's good. You can just divide this podcast up and, up into years. Like, that's the shoegaze <laughs> year. That's the scar year. I don't know. Twenty twenty. <laughs> um, so this is an album called Bleached Waves uh, by mm-hmm. a band called Zune. Um, mm. So it's an independent Canadian um, band album. Um, and it's kind of part instrumental, part worded. Um, but I just love the mm. feel of this record. Like, I can't really chalk up what, but everything about it, I enjoy sonically. Um, like, kind of like the old 90s aesthetic for Shoegaze is really dark and sludgy in some parts. Like, you listen to Loveless by My Bloody Valentine, and it's like, you know, reds and blacks, and it's really like kind of dark and heavy. This album is quite bright, um, hmm. and yeah, I really like that. Um, while yeah. still, while still being shoegazing, um, yeah, it wasn't nearly as kind of moody as yeah. some other shoegaze that I've listened to. Um, also worth mentioning is that a lot of the themes in the background instrumentation of some of these tracks um, are uh, indigenous um, in in their kind of origin because the artist is indigenous, hmm. and oh, um, cool. Yeah, so some of the melodies are actually a little bit um, not what you would normally hear in mainstream music. So I kind of I was a fan of uh, that as well. He does a good job of kind of bringing those in and making them blend with what he's doing. Um, yeah, it's an interesting new genre, indigenous shoegaze. Yeah, wow. it's a, on on the Bandcamp tag. It actually has the word moccasin gaze at the bottom of it. Wow, that's uh, amazing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I've been trying to find like stuff about this artist because it's pretty fresh and pretty small in the scene. And the best I could find was like a CBC interview, um, which is the mm. Canadian Broadcasting um, Organization in Canada. Uh, so mm. uh, he talks about the production on this album is really minimist because a lot of his stuff got stolen before he recorded this album. Um, mm. So it's basically like one effect pedal, his one guitar, and then, like, finding things to make sounds with that he could get his hands on, basically. Um, and I think he does a really good job with that, to be honest. Like, the album is, it doesn't seem like slapdash or hodgepodge. It's really well thought out. And a lot of the songs are quite beautifully crafted. And um, you wouldn't think that it's, like, just a guy and a guitar and a pedal kind of thing. There's a lot more to it than that. Hmm. It it definitely seemed a bit a little, little bit more sparse than I was expecting. Yeah. But more orchestrated than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I um, wouldn't have thought it was just a guitar and a a, a pedal and a few other things. So it it sounds it it sounds great and it's on vinyl, right? Like it's done so. well. I think so. Yeah. Uh, it's on an eight track. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So I, yeah, I don't know. I don't have much to critique about it because this kind of pushes all my musical buttons, to be honest. Um, I'm excited that uh, this is something that Indie Canada is putting out. Like this is probably one of my favorite Canadian releases of the year. Um, And I'm just excited to see where this guy keeps going. If he keeps making music to see what effect he has in the country. Mm. I I really loved all those little instrumental tracks. Um, Yeah. I thought that they were a very nice kind of glue that held the songs together. Um, I must confess some of the songs didn't really like catch me that much. Sure. Um, I think I gave it about one and a half to two listens 
and it was nice. It, we've had some rainy days over here, and so I was enjoying <laughs> some um, some gloomy shoe. Well, not quite gloomy shoe days, but uh, more suited to the weather. So I enjoyed that, and um, it's nice to hear. It's nice to hear like new shoegaze and from different kind of areas as well. Yeah. But, uh, I will keep listening to it and and hopefully it will also grow on me a little bit. There you go. I recommend mm. Zune. Zune. Yeah. I can't misspelling it in my notes. It's not Zoom. <laughs> no. Uh, how about you, sir? What have you been listening to? So um, I've also been listening to kind of a minimalistic album. Mm-hmm. Um, this was sent to me by um, a fellow music reviewer, um, E.J. Olson, who runs a website called Mirrors We Are. Um, and it's, yeah, so he reviews music and um, works for other people, writes um, stuff. I, to be honest, that's a really bad uh, <laughs> summing up of his, his job. <laughs> Check him out. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, He sent me an album that I think he, he was like, I think you'll like this. Um, So it's an ambient um, organ album from a Swedish uh, organist, Anna von Husswolf. Um, So the album's called All Thoughts Fly. Um, Kind of a terrifying looking cover. Um, But what it lies within is kind of one of the most beautiful um, ambient albums I've heard since I was obsessed with Dino Spilatini's work last year. Mm. Um, so it's solo organ, um, but is not limited to what you might think. Like, uh, so Anna uses every part of the organ, like just the air in the pipes to, um, sounds by just tapping the keyboards and the sound of valves and, and all the, the mechanical sounds of the organ, as well as obviously the notes that it plays. Mm. Um, so it's, it's quite astounding because she's multi-tracked it. She's added effects and delay, like, you know, delays and reverbs and all sorts of other interesting effects to um, the organ, either post or um, pre um, recording. And it's one of, yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. I've listened to this album so much in the past two weeks. Um, but I'll go through just why I have a couple of the tracks and why I think it's, it's brilliant. Um, so it kind of, at first it feels quite traditional theater of nature. The first track, um, has this really, um, interesting delay on the, these chords. Um, and then, but there's a lot of space between them. And then she pulls in all these like really high, notes and then long reverb tails and stuff and some parts sound like strings almost and then Mm. other times it sounds definitely like an organ um it feels like she's also pulling a little bit on like philip glass's um organ album um i have not listened to the entire thing it's very repetitive (laughs) but i i know it from uni yes you can imagine what it's like philip glass repetitive what are you talking about yeah yeah um the second track, though, is probably the favourite of mine on the album and kind of um, encapsulates it. So it's it, it's it's minimalism in the fact that, like, it's a repeated chord uh, progression, similar to Sigaros, like, repeated over and over again, but then pulling in these other parts. Um, the thing that got me, though, was this, like, high bend note that comes in. 
Um, I'm not even quite sure how she does this on an organ, but she does. Did you listen to this one? Yeah. So I was amazed to read that those weren't bagpipes because that is like yes. quintessential, yeah. like Irish bagpiping technique of like bending that like high end. I guess like when you think about it, a bagpipe is a portable reed organ of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, a reed instrument. But yeah, th- that was like really surprising to me. I was like, is that are those bagpipes? I can't tell. Yeah, I need to check about the kind of organ because if it's a it's traditionally pumping like air, like or if it's a machine, I'm not sure because um, you get different abilities. Like, so I have a harmonium at home, um, like every normal person does, <laughs> and on it you can kind of you can bring a note in by not putting any air into it and then pushing on the pedals to push the air in, and so it kind of like tunes up and then when the air is dying it dies down so i don't know if she's doing that kind of thing um with the organ i couldn't find that that detail but it just blew me away and yeah you're right it kind of sounds like bagpipes and these like crying sounds um then the next track um sacro bosco is kind of hailed as the single and there's like even a video clip for it which is really interesting um uh, which is quite, you know, avant-garde kind of thing. Um, it doesn't really grab me until the very end, but it's got these really nice sort of like the breath of the pipes, like mm. using and recording all the sounds around the organ as well. And that happens on a few of them, like um, uh, enter- Entering is another one. It kind of begins, it sounds like windscreen wipers or something like that. Um, anyway, I just love... This this album is like pure texture. Uh, well, no, not pure texture. There's some beautiful chord progressions yeah. and melodies. It's just some melodies too. Yeah, but it's it's the kind of live, real, gritty texture that is what I love in drone music. Mm. So rather than just pads and doors and stuff, you know, I want live instruments recorded in beautiful ways. Fussy, fussy, fussy. <laughs> <clears throat> Anyway, did you have any other thoughts on it? Or yeah, I gave it a couple of listens. I um, <clears throat> at- atmospherically, it kind of reminded me of uh, the Blade Runner soundtrack, especially the first song, actually. Um, the original Blade Runner, or yes, the one? like I feel like you could overlay that first song with like the scene where they're flying into the big city. Yes, Vangelis. You, you, you could get yeah. a similar like nightscape feel to it. Um, mm. And I don't, yes. I, yeah. I don't think the like the vibe of the art or aesthetic of this album and the like actual music match because it's not nearly as terrifying as the album cover <laughs> wants you to think it is. I don't. Hey, like, I don't know the Swedes, man. They'll do what they do. Like the 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 cover art is like a mix of like the scream. And that painting of like the dude eating his son, like it's just like weird, like horrific thing. And you're like, what is this like spooky music going to be? And it's these beautiful melodic <laughs> harmonized organ pieces. And you're like, okay, I sure. I don't think he's mad. I think she's she's in the middle of the mouth. I think that's her. So I yeah, and the, the album's called All Thoughts Fly. So I have no idea what that's about. Anyway, yeah, I, I thought it was quite beautiful. I listened to it a couple of times. Yeah. 
the vinyl is sold out and I'm sad. <laughs> but um yeah, I'm glad you glad you enjoyed it. Like it's it's really nice to hear organ done beautifully. Um yeah. because so I mean, no. If you are a musician, you know that organ is gorgeous, but it's nice to have something in this vein. So, yeah. And it's also fairly non-traditional usage of the <clears throat> instrument, right? Um yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't really, you don't really hear organs in mainstream music anymore, and so this is kind of, uh, you know, you take the avant-garde and you try to do something with a unusual instrument mm. and it's done well. Yeah, you hear a lot of like um, Hammond organ sounds, yeah, but um, not really pipe organ unless you're Arcade Fire and you're writing Neil Bible. Even then, that's like 15 years ago. <laughs> yes, that's true. That is not recent. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's that's what um that's what I was listening to, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. Mm. All right, homework time. Homework. So I will talk about what I gave Josh. Um, so we were having a conversation. I think I asked him multiple times, "Have you heard of Bonnie Prince Billy?" <laughs> and he told me yes, but I've not listened to it. So. Um, this album, Lie Down in the Light by Bonnie Prince Billy, was um, an album that was sent to me by my mum, as most things are. No, not all things, but she posted me randomly two or three of his albums one time when I was living over here in Sydney um, earlier on. And I just had them on in the car. This must have been, I think, when you were living in Sydney, Josh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was listening to them a bunch. And I really didn't expect to like this album because it's quite borderline country. <laughs> um, and yet this album, Lie Down in the Light, is a favourite of mine when it comes to folk country kind mm. of thing. And I thought you might enjoy it because you enjoy that kind of thing every now and then. So what did you think of Lie Down in the Light by Bonnie Prince Billy? Yeah. So he's always been kind of one of those musicians on the radar, but pretty far out there. Like I've heard uh, a song by him because it was covered by Johnny Cash. Um, mm. um, Which song was it again? I See a Darkness. Right. Yeah. It's one I don't know. Yeah. And I got a, I kind of get a similar impression about, him from like reading things about him like he's kind of um like nothing particularly like flashy or gimmicky or grabbing about his like musicality or personality really um Mm. i've read that he's very consistent um which is an interesting quality for a musician (laughs) um what do they mean by that yeah so i think they like he he makes kind of good albums but there will never be like huge leaps and bounds from each other right yeah um anyway so i found this album uh pretty bare production wise uh Mm. and the music itself is also pretty low-key like it's you know one singer maybe two singers a guitar and very occasional background instrumentation um bit of tapping percussion and things like that probably the most musically versatile songs and my subsequent favorites are um for every field there's a mole and the the last song i'll be glad like there's more to them like there's a there's even a guitar solo in the last song um and there's some like some like gang vocals in the 
for every field and there's like more it's more fleshed out um yeah yeah i think i don't really understand the the vibe that this album is going for um but that that never really clicked with me like i'm not i'm not sure what bonnie prince billy is trying to hit for with this album um and maybe it's because the lyrics haven't sunk in with me and i I haven't enough time to kind of get those down um but it's not like it's not rough and rusty enough to be like a bob dylan or like a felice brothers and it's not like as like highly produced and polished as like a rufus wainwright or a sufyan or josh ritter like it's kind of Hmm. it's it's in the middle and i don't really know like don't really know how to treat it because of that i don't think um Hmm. yeah yeah i get that it's um (laughs) it's kind of like some of the songs sound like country songs in that they're really like woe is me i'm having relationship issues and then other songs are like about old testament stories and quotes from the bible and the cover even looks a little bit like i think it's supposed to be is it uh isaac wrestling an angel i'm yeah. not sure um i'm getting my bible <laughs> history wrong it's too early for bible Sorry. quizzes who, who is it <laughs> yeah, um yeah isaac so yeah i mean don't get me wrong i i, I love like scratchy minimalist country music um hmm. i just kind of wish that he had like committed harder enough to one of the directions a little bit mm. rather than trying to ride the line um yeah yeah so this album's got a lot of charm behind it and it's it's very warm um yeah i but to be honest it's something i particularly adored but also didn't particularly dislike about it like it just kind of um i don't know i, I didn't find it overly special is what i'm trying to say i think and mm. maybe that's unfair, but I have not listened to other Bonnie Prince Billy stuff to compare it to. Um, so mm. kind of only drawing through like other things. Um, no, that's fine. It took a long time for it to grow on me. So yeah. I can imagine that maybe that's one of his qualities as well. I mean, yeah. For, <laughs> it's for, consistent. <laughs> I mean, from what I've read about this album online, people loved it. Um, it's got like an 8.8 on Pitchfork when it came out. Like people really enjoyed this album. Right. Um, Interesting. Yeah. But not Josh Short. Well, I, again, I did. I didn't like. I didn't not enjoy it. Like it wasn't like, oh, this is terrible. But it's kind of, it kind of, it kind of rides that like middle line for me. Where like, if there was more, I don't like the word gimmicks, but if there was more to like the production, I'd find that interesting. Or if there was like much less to it, I'd find that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, the way he sings is very interesting, isn't it? Like it's almost not great, but then <laughs> somehow like he still pulls off some pretty good vocal feats and it's, and yeah, it's just like a bit like crusty, but not like enough character that you go, Ooh, like yeah. that's a particular sound. I mean, he, he sings like the mustache that he has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the bald head. Yeah, he's kind of got a bit of a shaggy dog appearance going on, and that's kind of how he sings. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like if um, maybe I should explore more of his discography to, to kind of compare this to, and that would give me a better picture. Yeah, maybe. I, I only know a couple of his albums, and this was my favorite. I mean, he's done a lot. Like, I look on Bandcamp, yeah. and there's just so many albums there. I don't know where to start. This has been described um, as his most hopeful and positive album. 
Oh, okay. There yeah. you go. Um, so just, just one thing that I found interesting no was, um, did you listen to the song, um, keep eye on others gain? Uh, I mean, I listened to it a, a bunch of times. I'll have to tell me which one it is on the album. It's, it's the one that probably sounds the most produced. Okay. Um, there's just that song I think drew me in because like you say, the others are not as produced and it's not as ear grabbing. But this one kind of drew me in because of the beautiful phrasing and instrumentation, that sort of thing. And then that was the gateway to like, oh, I really like Easy Does It as well. And I really like Lay Down in the Light. And yeah, so okay. Yeah, keep on that drew me in. It's the one with like the weird demented uh, winds on it, right? Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's a little I bit. I can't remember if there's. Yeah, so maybe. It's kind of Beatles-y and like it has these like um like bent woodwinds on it a little bit. That's right. Okay. It's got movement. It's got this like chugging guitar. Yeah, yeah, I think it does have that. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. sorry. I mean, again, like I didn't hate this album. Um, <laughs> that's, that's not what I'm trying to get at. Um, no, I know. I get that. I'm hearing the nuance. It's just, yeah, I don't know. Something I was reflecting on yesterday was that, you know how like, uh, people were like, oh, Gautier, you're so amazing because you wrote a song where you hear both sides of the story um, <laughs> of a relationship. I was like, this is a great example. This is a much better example of it in uh, You Want That Picture. Have you heard? Did you? Um, it's, a bit, it's a bit funny. Like it's a bit of comedy. Um, it's this man and this woman talking about how like their relationship didn't work out. And um they're both saying something to each other and they're like, you know, oh, you want that picture, don't you, darling, of poor old me sitting there bawling or something. <laughs> and then the other one's like, oh, you want that picture of cold-hearted me, like flying, not soaring. It's like, well, it's true that I soared, um, you know, but then I went outdoors and I looked up in the night and like, you know, and I thought, oh, this is quite sad kind of thing. Like <laughs> it's, they're breaking apart the stereotypes of it, this ending relationship and it's, I thought it was quite clever mm. and a bit humorous. But um, he, he does do these, talking about the sparseness, the like hits where it's like every instrument is like, dung, dung. And like, there's no like in between tempo or anything like that. And so it can be a little bit like uncertain where the feel is. Mm. I don't know. That adds to the, the sparseness of it, I suppose. Yeah, okay. Anyway, yeah, there you go. You have now been induced into the Bonnie Prince Billy <laughs> discography. Only like 35 albums to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to tell people what you gave me? Sure. Um, so this has been on my list for a while. Um, this time I gave Asher the first and... Um, only released album during the lead singer's lifetime, uh, Joy Division's Unknown Pleasures. Um, legendary Manchester post-punk band. Um, fairly genre-defining and uh, kind of gothic music-inspiring um, with its mm. de- uh, kind of themes of isolation and depression and um, isn't really for sunny afternoons. Uh yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a, an alternative classic from the late 70s, um, but it mm-hmm. is a bit dated nowadays, I would say. But what did you think of Joy Division's Unknown Pleasures, sir? 
So I've seen, I've obviously seen this album cover everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's like on every second t-shirt at a festival. Um, and so I, I know about it. I didn't actually know the name of the album, so that's helpful. Um, and I knew that it was quite well loved and historic. So, um, I figured there would be something in it that I'd really like. (laughs) And Disorder was a great start. So you were telling me that you would love this album just for Disorder. Oh, yeah. Um, And you're right. It's a really good song. Very weird bass, though. Like Peter Hook, um, I haven't heard a lot of his stuff, um, but I can see now where Turn On The Bright Lights bass player got some of his stuff. Like... So Interpol's, whoever the bass player was for Turn On The Bright Lights, obviously has drawn heavily on him because it starts like the bass is high and like playing high notes um, right at the intro of the song, which is not typical. And then at the end, there's this weird part that the bass is doing. I'm like, dude, that does not match. But kind of, kind of, whatever, you do whatever you like. Um, so I really liked Disorder. I thought that was a great song and, and that's by far my favorite on the album. Mm. Um, so talking about it as a holistic album, to me, this album seemed very sparse. Um, it seemed like there were elements of really good ideas, but there wasn't much in between them sometimes. Mm. So it's just the, it's just, you know, bass, guitar, drums, synthesizers like a little like some other i thought the synthesizers added a nice you know were a nice addition to the palette um because otherwise it would have been even more sparse um and uh props to the producer i heard that um the producer did a really good job with this album yeah and actually um you know it was really good because the band didn't really have any idea about production and they were just like a, a clean slate for him to work with. And so it was just like the sound was just as much his as it was the band's yeah. in some ways. A lot of the like, atmosphere okay. on the album is thanks to the producer. Yeah. Um, so the atmosphere is on point. So it's quite dreary <laughs> and lots of reverb on drums and kind of like, yeah, it, it's got, uh, yeah, it's got a real tone to it. Um, I like track two. Um let me just pull up the track list. I can't remember all of them off the top of my head. Yeah, I like Day of the Lords. From there, it gets a little bit like Lost. Track three didn't grab me so much. The, the overall feel is there wasn't a lot of energy in the songs. Mm. Disorder began so strong. I was expecting it to kind of keep pumping. And although it's like punk... Um, it didn't feel like a lot of the songs had that much energy behind them. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's um, so it's kind of hard to pick a Joy Division thing for someone to listen to because so much of their music is like scattered and piecemeal through different like releases and records. And because because hmm. by far the most famous song is "Level Tears Apart," right? Yeah, yeah. And that's not on any album. Um, right. That was just released as a single, and that's kind of got like uh, the energy and the bass playing and the, the like the, even the keys yeah. and stuff like that behind it. Um, yeah. But yeah, like there's um, a lot of this album is pretty rough, and yeah, I think to to some people that appeals because there's no 
Like this is like the late seventies, early eighties. There's no glitz. There's no glamour. Um, yeah. And it, like, it's very raw emotionally. And that kind of goes together with like the, the unpolished feel of this album to some people, I think. Sure. And I get that. I totally get that this is amazing, like way ahead of its time. And I would have much rather listened to this in the late seventies than other stuff in the late seventies. Yeah. So if I was there, I would be like, yep, yeah, definitely. This is like, but for me now, you know, 40 years on, uh, no, 30, 30 years on, no, 40 years on. Um, it's, I prefer the bands that have been influenced by this more than this band mm. itself or this album. Like I prefer turn on the bright lights than this. I prefer Suvlaki than this. Yeah. Like I can see the influence that, this album had upon those and I prefer the latter. Um, so that's, and that, that's just fine. It's just amazing to me because a lot of people really love this album and kind of talk about it a lot, have shirts, buy it on vinyl, <laughs> all that sort of thing. I see it around a lot and I was expecting it to be a little bit more like disorder the whole way through. Um, no, that would have been, that would have been too good. Oh, I don't know. You can still write a good album like that you know, in the late, late seventies, but, um, I don't know, maybe it's just because it was such a brand new sound. You're like still experimenting and look, you don't have to write a hit machine. It's all good. Yeah. I mean, um, something does have to grow on you a little bit too. I, I did not love the whole thing when I first listened to it either. Hmm. Um, but as someone who does have a copy of it on vinyl, I, um, I do love most of it nowadays, I think. Yeah. I yeah so I yeah. I've, I've been doing a lot of listening to the first album the band made after Ian Curtis died. Um mm. it's called The uh, Movement. It's the first album by New Order. And I've been mm. it's really actually it was released uh yesterday it was like the 39th anniversary of it or something like that. Um right. yeah. It's it's interesting to me cuz the band is still very much trying to like find out what it wants to do. And I think that's actually kind of true for a lot of Joy Division's lifespan as well. Like they have a number mm. of great songs like Disorder and like Shadow Play and Ceremony and um, transition to like New Order where they're now all of a sudden don't have a lead singer. So they're having, the guys are having to do that themselves and also trying mm. to write like new songs, like who are we as a band? So movements like a lot of like really weird experimentation. <laughs> Um, mm. but there's actually, I think the first song that's really good. Um, okay. Yeah. But I don't know. Like it's, um, like listening to a uh, hooky's bass playing throughout the lifespan of joy division is like really something for me. I love that his, his approach to like musicality as a bass player. Um, mm. it does, it does make the album quite special. I think that without that, I think they have the good elements are the riffs, like the guitar riffs are not like amazing, but they're very appropriate. Mm. The bass playing is very interesting. The drums are a little bit like, I think they're better on things like Love Will Tear Us Apart. Like, yeah, I enjoy that a little bit more than, than some of the stuff on Unknown Pleasures. Um, but yeah, the bass does really stand out as kind of their signature thing. 
Yeah, man. It's Joy Division. I don't know. I don't want to make too many broad statements no, about no, no. a band I ba- barely uh, know, but yeah. Um, we also haven't really talked about the story of the band, but if anyone is ever interested in learning about Joy Division, there's a pretty good docu-film called Control. There's a little bit of embellishment to it, but it's a pretty good... It's a black and white um, music movie about the life of the band and the life of the lead singer. Um, mm. cause as a, a, uh, you sent me this and I didn't get to watch it. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. It, it's just a scene from the film. Like uh, part of the romanticization about this band is also kind of like the tragedy of it, um, mm. which is, isn't a part I particularly enjoy necessarily. I find it kind of weird that people um, kind of, I don't know what the word is kind of glorify suicide through this album a little bit. Um, hmm. The lead singer is a under a tremendous amount of stress in his lifetime. And so this album kind of took its toll on him. Um, yeah. That's kind of one of these, but some people kind of worship it a little bit more. I don't think it's valid, right. but um, anyway, that's a hmm. nice joy division. <laughs> yeah. But no, I'm glad to have listened to it. I am glad to kind of have that piece of the puzzle now in my listening mm. um because i feel like sometimes i listen to things in reverse <laughs> no no as as <laughs> you know. as much as i hate them uh, uh i hate best of albums yeah um i i think trying to like assemble the like actual like scattered elements of joy division is kind of difficult um so i i don't think i would like i wouldn't charge you for having a best of joy division so you can kind of like go through what they, is there one yeah, there's a bunch. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll check one out. Anyway, uh, honorable mentions. Yeah, yeah, let's move on to honorable mentions. All right, I've got two small ones and two kind of big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, first, and um, maybe not honorable mention, this may be our first dishonorable mention, um, a new Arcade Fire song. <laughs> it's honorable because we... Well, I like Arcade Fire. <laughs> you like Arcade Fire 15, 10 yeah. years ago. I liked what Arcade Fire used to be when they made good music. So this new, um, they put it on, they played a new song on a, on the Colbert show. Um, hmm. It's called Generation A, I think it's a? called. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's it so bland. It's like, <laughs> it's like a Tom Petty song and a Talking Heads song. But without any of the good parts of either of those two people. It also, <laughs> the thing that I found a little bit odd was the hip, the like hypocrisy of we we used to wait versus we can't wait anymore. Like, I like I get that like now you know he's like frustrated at the state of the world. It's like we don't want to wait anymore. I think that's the lyric. I listened to it once. Sorry, no, that's right. But it just felt like a little bit of a going back on like patience that they used to have. Anyway. Anyway, like, yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I think we both found it fairly musically uncreative, and so that was kind of frustrating. Um, it felt a little bit like some of the songs on Everything Now that I just glossed over, like that just kind of felt like rock songs for the sake of rock songs. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I'm sure when Butler was going to come and kick our teeth in with this like giant frame. Um, also, I want to mention. So Phoebe Bridgers, who we've talked about before. Yes. Um, yes. So she tweeted during the American election that if Joe Biden won the election, she would cover the song Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. Um, a fairly <laughs> I in- didn't see that. Fairly infamous, like early 2000s, late 90s song. Yeah. 
Um, and so she has done so uh, with another musician called Maggie Rogers. Who I've actually been a fan mm. of for a little while. Um, okay. And I didn't know. Her. It's just this, <laughs> it's just this cover. And it's gorgeous. It, yeah. It's really well done. Um, it's beautiful. I, I mean, I actually really like the song. Iris. <laughs> <laughs> I, I th- like the song Iris is like kind of cheesy, but it's still a good song. And I think that kind of take away the corniness of it, the way they do it. Um, yeah, I am. My my troll quiz was going to be, what was the movie that Iris was in? Ooh, <laughs> I don't actually know that. <laughs> it's City of Angels with Nick Cage and Meg Ryan. <laughs> I, have, I have not seen that, and I probably won't. Neither have I. <laughs> I doubt. I doubt either either of us would ever watch it. But it was just. It was. I remember it because when the video clip came out. In the early thousands, oh, they just it was littered with scenes from this movie. I was like, I don't know what this is. Flipping Goo Goo Dolls, man. Um, also, on an actual note, Phoebe Bridgers has released a thing called the Copycat Killer EP, mm. um, which are a bunch of um, string uh, redoings of some of her songs from her latest album. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole thing isn't out yet, but it's quite, um, I don't know. I really appreciate that take of like, let's, redo some of the elements of this album and make it, you know, stringified. It's really beautiful. Those songs out there. Mm. Yeah, uh, I saw that, but I haven't listened to it yet. Yeah. Also, I've been listening to uh, the first album by John Lennon post Beatles. Um, so it's called John Lennon slash Plastic Yoko Ono Band. Oh, okay. Um, so t- to be honest, I've been doing, I've done the rounds a couple times through um, first releases from post Beatles members. And I think George Harrison and Paul McCartney have two really good albums a piece after the Beatles broke up. And so I've kind of never listened to John's one. Um, so I thought I'd give it a shot. Um, mm. it, it's by far the most emotional and like angry out of the three albums. Um, yeah, right. So apparently he was doing primal scream therapy at the time. Um, <laughs> And so this album is kind of like him working through a bunch of issues. Um, oh, yikes. So it's got a couple classics on it, like um, the song Mother, um, which is about his oh, mother. Oh, yeah, I've heard of this. Um, and then Working Class Hero and the song Isolation. So I actually really enjoy the song Isolation. I think it's really good. Um, hmm. Shocker that John Lennon can write a good song. Um, but <laughs> Who would have uh, thought? Yeah, I know. It's un- unimaginable. Uh, oh pun there uh i think (laughs) um but yeah i i wouldn't um put this as like the best post beatles album i still think george harrison has claimed to that title but it's really good right yeah with his triple disc um Um, yeah what's it called again all things must Uh, all things must pass yeah yeah it's Which I the, still haven't listened to. It's it's on the list. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a really good album, I say. You had to give me a month, though. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. And uh, last and not least is probably something that's very niche, to be honest. Um, I don't know how I found this. Uh, so I've been listening to a bunch of um, remixes of my favorite rapper, who has a bunch of acapella raps that are out there. And uh, some Nujibes, uh beat beds, basically. Right. That's kind of a, a smushing together. So this is like not very legal and also like not anywhere except for YouTube. Um, but And you're promoting this. 
Yes. It's not on Spotify or Bandcamp anymore because it's been taken right. down. Um, but I think it's, a, I don't, I really enjoy this project a lot because I love, sorry, the rapper is called MF Doom and his mm-hmm. lyricism and flow, I think is something very special and, and fantastic. And um, the guy's done a pretty good job of matching uh, Nujibes, like that kind of um, jazz art hop with the words that the guy is rapping. And I think it's, I don't know, I really enjoy the project. It's been kind of mm. on in the background for the last couple of weeks and I've been really liking it. Um, nice. Yeah. We should send it through or uh, I'll put it in the show notes, but I should have a listen because it won't be on the playlist. Be keen to check it out. Yes, sir. How about yourself? Um, well, you took my one about Phoebe Bridges um, <laughs> because I was like, oh, I love that version. And her <laughs> harmo- the harmonies between her and the other woman, what was her name again? Maggie Rogers is her name. Maggie Rogers was just gorgeous. And um, yeah, I think she does it better than the Goo Goo Dolls. How um, dare you, sir? <laughs> Goo Goo Dolls, what a name. Anyway. <laughs> Um, I just have two remaining. So one of them is um, The Welcome Wagon have a new song. Oh, okay. Um, I might have sent this through to you. I can't remember. You comment on it because um, it's got a resident of Gregory Brothers, uh, Evan Gregory, um, playing keys on it. So he he and Sarah and uh, Andrew are often on Welcome Wagon albums because they all live around New York and kind of play on each other's records or, or mm. anyway. Um, so the Welcome Wagon are a husband and wife duo and have had, yeah, they've written two, no, three albums. Um, I really enjoy them. They're kind of like very folky, like very kind of like more traditional folk in some ways. It's still quite hipster and indie, but um, it, very simple chords, simple harmonies, very sweet um, and this new one um, is is really lovely. It's um, kind of done via video streaming, like they streamed in other musicians due to COVID and stuff. And, oh, okay. and um, yeah, it looks, it just, I, at least, I, sorry, I'm assuming that, um, but it's a video one where it seems like people have recorded their parts elsewhere, like they haven't been writing together. And mm. But it's usually the writing team is, yeah, Vito and Monique Ayudo is their last name. Um, and I love their stuff. It's often the melodies are gorgeous and the arrangements are very sweet. Sometimes their albums are a bit hit and miss. Like there are some songs that I adore on them and then other songs that, um, yeah, I'm not very interested in. Their last project came out 2016, 2017. So yeah, it hasn't been that long. Um, and yeah, I like their stuff. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next. Um, um, the last one I have is a bit of an uh, odd one, but you know, must always be talking about video game music. Oh, <laughs> and before I mention this one, I do want to mention Austin Wintery has a new soundtrack out. Um, oh. it's for another game, obviously. Um, and I'm just pulling up the name of the game. I think it's called, um, Pathless and it's a new game. Uh, I think it's on PS5 or something. Um, I don't know much about the game, but the music is gorgeous. I've seen a few clips. So check out that. We mentioned um, Austin Wintry last episode, mm-hmm. um, his um, Journey soundtrack, but he's done a lot more since then. And so he's just got this new soundtrack out, which looks fantastic. 
Oh, so you just reminded um, me. Um, Austin Wintry, hmm. if you ever hear this, why isn't the Journey soundtrack on Spotify? The actual one. I'm frustrated by it. <laughs> Maybe he wants to actually make a living, so it's on Bandcamp. Uh, <laughs> I can't put that in the playlist. True, true. They need to make a playlist function for Bandcamp. Bandcamp, if you're listening, <laughs> could you could you make a playlist function for people to be out of here? Like one track from an album or something, you know, you still have this, the, the limit on how many times you as a certain listener can hear that track before you have to buy it. But you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting. There's a lot of people who have asked for some features. I'll add that to the list. I think uh power is starting to go to our heads a little bit. Asher. Anyway, keep going. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but our listener base is, you know, millions strong. <laughs> um, okay. So last thing is um, I've been listening to the doom 2016 soundtrack. Okay. Now, now, um, a couple of years ago, my brother-in-law showed me a documentary with Mick Gordon, who wrote the soundtrack, um, and I found it quite intriguing because not I'm not a huge Doom fan. Um, I know the theme, obviously, E E one M one, which yeah. is um, the etc. So the cool thing that I liked was that Mick Gordon was given the job of writing Doom 2016's music. But wanting to wanting it to reference the original Doom, like because mm. it, it was kind of the rebirth of Doom, even though there'd been multiple games, whatever, it's kind of like Doom had begun again. And there's a my one of my favorite pieces is um, at Doom's Gate, and so he riffs literally off that melody, that riff, and does it completely differently with like insane production. The production on this album is epic. I mean, like. It's enormous and pounding <laughs> and like, as you can imagine for a game like that. But um, you would find this a bit disgusting. He uses a nine string guitar <laughs> on it. Um, <laughs> they, so I think it's an F sharp or something like that or even lower. But um, it's a pretty massive riff. And the thing that's also really cool is he, it's not just electric guitar and drums. He brings like synthesizers into it. He uses like crazy sort of tape effects and all this sort of thing there's a lot of detail that's been put into the soundtrack mm. um the main meme that's used is the bfg division which has got that really crazy sort of gothic <laughs> melody um and i don't know if you've seen the crossover memes between animal crossing and doom um but they're quite funny anyway um it's just that they use this piece in it. It's kind of like the classic sort of when you're referencing doom you use bfg division yeah but I'll put the documentary in the show notes because it's quite fascinating to watch. Um, Mick Gordon's a little bit dramatic. You know, I'm really cool and, and <laughs> dark and metal. I'm like, whatever. But he just, he writes really well. His production is excellent and he's a great guitarist. I will admit that these are one note riffs and I like them a little bit more than Ooh. I said I did. Yeah, hypocrisy. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, I think it's, I, I get tired of it. I haven't listened to the whole soundtrack properly, but I just like the couple of pieces and I like the the production and the thought behind it. So anyway, I just, I thought it was quite a clever soundtrack and um, I'd been meaning to listen to it since years ago. So I wanted to spin that a bit. All right. Um, so thank you for listening to episode 17 of what we're listening to. We are gaining in our ability to vote as a podcast, <laughs> which is nice. Um, one more episode to go. Um, 
So please check us out on socials, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and our website. Leave us a little review on um, uh, Apple Podcasts and, you know, share us around with your friends and retweet us or all that kind of jazz. Um, Thanks very much for listening and being interested and we hope that you have found some good music over the past episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll see you later, Josh. See you, buddy. Bye.